0: All right, well, hello, Fountain Springs. It's good to be with you today. If you've got your Bibles, I would like to invite you to turn with me to the very last book in the Bible, right toward the end, the Book of Revelation. And uh, as as you've heard already, my name is Josh McNall. and uh, I'm I'm a pastor, but also a college professor in Oklahoma, a place called Oklahoma West End University. And my job is just to train young people for ministry, for ministry in, in churches like this, and so the reason I'm here, I wrote a little book called Long Story Short, and you as a church have been walking through the chapters in that book uh, over the past several weeks, and so I'm just delighted to be here for the, for the series finale and to be with you. All of us, I think, probably have had a favorite television series, I don't know what your favorite television series is. If you're my age or maybe just a little bit older, it might have been a show called Seinfeld. I don't know if any Seinfeld viewers in the crowd. Maybe just a, there we go, a little bit younger. Maybe it was a show called Friends. Friends. Maybe The Office, if you're just a little bit younger than that. All of us have probably had a favorite television series. But one of the biggest challenges for a long-running television series, especially if a lot of people watch it and if it's been on for multiple seasons, is this question. How does it end? How does it end? I mean, how are we going to wrap up all of these different storylines and tie up All of these loose ends, will Ross and Rachel finally, finally work it out? What's going to happen to Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute and Jim and Pam? And and what's going to happen to, will the zombies finally win and we'll just all be zombies? Right? How does it end? And whether you're talking about television shows or something else, there is this, this reality that endings often disappoint us. Endings often disappoint us. I-, I googled this week, worst series finales ever. I was nervous about this sermon, that's why. <laughs> worst, worst series finales ever. And I got quite a list of all of these te- television shows that people loved. They loved it, but they hated the series finale. They didn't like the way it ended. They didn't like the way Lost ended. They didn't like the way How I Met Your Mother ended. This long list of just terrible endings often disappoint us. And that's not true just with with television. It's true in sports, right? My sports team lost today. I don't know about yours. Endings often disappoint us. The season ends and you're not the champion. It's true even when the ending is good that the ending can be disappointing. I brought a picture of a guy you might recognize, a guy by the name of Tom Brady. Don't boo if you're... Tom Brady is a guy... This is a guy who looks like he's got everything, man. He's tall, dark, handsome. He's won a bunch of Super Bowls. He's married to a supermodel. He's got a beautiful family. And I read this story of Tom Brady when he won his very first Super Bowl, And he finally got the thing that he'd been chasing his his whole life. And he said he woke up the next morning and he said, is this it? Is this all there is? He said, there's got to be more than this. What is it? Endings often disappoint us. And that's true not just of movies, it's true not just of TV shows and athletic competitions. That's true, if we're really honest, in countless human lives. Endings can be disappointing, the end of a career. When you put your stuff in that box and you walk out of the office. The end of a relationship that didn't go the way you hoped. The end of having your children in the house and they're, they're, just, they're not there. There's this feeling sometimes where endings disappoint us. How does it end? And so you've been in this series called Long Story Short. And the premise of this series, if you've been here in the prior weeks, is that as human beings... We don't just need the surface things. We don't just need a better job or a prettier spouse or a bigger paycheck. We need a better story, a bigger story to be a part of that matters, it's bigger than us and it's gonna carry on long after us. We need a bigger story. And so we've been walking through these movements, these chapters in God's story, the long story of Scripture, and we said the Scriptures lay out kind of like a big narrative. They begin with creation, this story of a good God who makes a good world, creation from and for communion, loving relationships, the story of the fall in week two, and how sin and evil worm their way into everything. And you heard how the story of the fall is not just something that happened way back when with Adam and Eve, but it's a story that we repeat as we, we misuse God's good gifts in creation and it leads to all sorts of trouble. Chapter three, the third movement in this series, the promise, the promise to a people called Israel that God was going to set everything right. This beautiful, dysfunctional family And then the next movement, the story of Jesus, the center of the story, God's Son taking on flesh, becoming human, dying, raising again to save us. And then last week, the story of the church, the chapter in which we find ourselves. And if you were here, Pastor David talked about the church, not as a a building, but as a body of people, a group of people, who've been called to get to work in the world for Jesus. Jesus. And so the image he gave was not a pair of slippers where we just sit around and sort of relax and enjoy a show, but a work boot where we get to work for Jesus. And so this week in, in the last message in this series, I want to ask this question, what is this work project building towards? Where are we going as we work and walk with, with Jesus in this world? How does it end. And the last chapter in the story is what I'm going to call new creation. New creation. And we read about it, if you've got your Bible, in the book of Revelation chapter 21. The words will be up here as well. This is how the story ends. This is the series finale. This, this word, this vision that was given to a guy named John. He says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband." And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, take it to the bank, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is God's word. This is God's word on how the story ends, how the story ends. And so my goal today, my one, my single goal is to whet your appetite for the coming new creation, the new heavens, the renewed heavens and renewed earth that that John talks about. He calls it new creation, to whet your appetite for the series finale, not of this series of messages, but of all of human history. There's a saying, you probably heard this saying, it says about some people that some people are so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly good. Have you heard that? Have you heard that before? You've maybe known some people that were like that. You just sort of dream about the, cause, the heavens. Or, but my theory is that if we can get in our bones the future that is coming, the renewed creation, that it's not that we'll be of no earthly good, but that we'll be of more earthly good in our families, in our offices, in our relationships, in the way we serve, new, new creation. I have this this theory. The theory is that we have a problem in some cases in the church and in the world. And the problem is that many people, whether Christians or or non-Christians, they've embraced a view of the afterlife that just isn't Very interesting. It's not very interesting. For some of us, the view of the afterlife is that there just is none. And it's just this this, that's it. It's over. Time runs out. But for some Christians, they have a view of the afterlife that, that isn't very interesting either. For people just in our culture, a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins is a famous atheist. He's a scientist. He's a really smart guy. He doesn't believe in God. But he said at one point, even if there is a heaven how unbelievably boring it would be. He's like, how boring, what do we do? We just sit around on clouds? We just listen to like really mediocre music? Because he, he, he says, I could do it for maybe 200 years, but after that, I, I don't know. Like, that's, I, I don't really want there to be an eternity, he says. And so I've got some good news for you and for Richard Dawkins. The passage that we just read does not say, John does not say, behold, I saw a bunch of really bored dead people listening to Kenny G (laughs) for like a million years. Nothing against he doesn't he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, behold, I saw a bunch of really bored people. He describes something that is incredible and is beautiful, something that we should should long for. And so what are the takeaways from this passage? I think the first takeaway is this, the best part of new creation, the best part of new creation isn't the absence of pain, but the presence of Jesus, amen? Amen. The best part of new creation is not just that you get a bunch of cool stuff or that you live forever as if you're just like checking your watch. You're like, yep, still alive. Yep, still alive. I think I hear Kenny G, still alive. It's not the absence of pain, but the presence of Jesus Christ. Look what it says, verse three and four. It says this, look, he says, God's dwelling place Jesus, God the Son, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. It's not just that your tears will be wiped away. It's who will be doing it? Who is the person that will be doing it? There's this beautiful picture. It's called the first day in heaven. It's this picture of Jesus just embracing this young woman. And I've had, I've had close family members, I've had close friends die, and this is the image that I have in my, my head. It's not sitting around in the clouds. It's Jesus wiping away every tear. I have, I have four kids, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. So there's a lot of crying in my house, usually me. And And so when that when the crying happens, like my two-year-old son Teddy, there'll be these moments and kids can flip-flop really quick from like crying to laughing. And there'll be times where he's already flip-flopped and he's no longer sad, but there's still this like this one tear on his cheek. And I'll walk up as his dad and I'll just wipe it away and give him a hug because I love him. And, And if that is how a loving father embraces his son. Imagine the person who is undiluted love itself. The good news about the end of the story, the best part of new creation, it's not just the the absence of pain, but the presence of Jesus. The reward isn't just a place, it's a person. It's a person. I've heard somebody say once, if Jesus wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go? Right. And on the surface, you might be like, well, yeah, I mean, it's cold here. <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's South Dakota. It's almost winter. If Jesus isn't, and I, it, it might seem nice, but the ultimate reward is not a place. It is a person, a person that we're called into relationship. God will be with us, John says, and that's the best part. What's the second thing? A sort of second thing that we see about the way the story ends, and that is that the physical cosmos, the physical universe, will be made new. It'll experience a, a renewal or a resurrection. It, it says this in verse one, the passage we just read. Then I saw a new or a renewed heaven, and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. If you're like me, that last bit is like, wait a minute, like, I, I like the sea. I actually surf, kind of, I have, a, I have some in-laws that live in Florida. It's like, what, what's that line about there's no sea? And the sea, it's, it's not that God hates surfing or he doesn't like oceans or anything. It's that the sea for the Jews, for the people who first received this message, was a symbol of chaos and evil and destruction. It was the sea that God parted to bring them from death to life. And so it's a way of saying there will be no more evil or pain or chaos because the creation itself will be made new. If the first misconception about the afterlife is Richard Dawkins and it's gonna be really boring, then the second misconception about the way the story ends is that it ends with just destruction, just burning, just fire, just, I mean, that very word apocalyptic conjures images of smoke and fire and pain. And this past month, I've been working a little bit with Smoke, I bought a new grill a new grill, and it's called a, it's a Traeger. I don't know if you've heard of Traeger, right? Amen. That's the biggest response I've gotten yet in South Dakota. <laughs> meat, fire, good. Right? And so I bought this grill, this Traeger, this wood fire grill, and I started smoking some meat, and I, re- I like smoky meat, and I was really kind of disappointed after my first few uses that it just wasn't quite as smoky as I wanted it to be, and so I did something really foolish. I bought a blowtorch. And I got some more wood pellets, and I got this little metal tube you put the pellets in, because if you want a little extra smoke, you can can do that, you light the whole thing on fire. And I did this in my wife's kitchen. (laughs) She said, take that outside, you're gonna burn this. And so I light the pellet thing, and I put it on there, I get more smoke. And then later in the day, I run my fingers through what little hair I have remaining, and I'm like, why is it all crusty? Did I get some sauce in my hair? Answer, no, I burned off what little hair I have left (laughs) with the (laughs) blowtorch, and so I have to come to Rapid City, get a haircut today, and say, cut it really short. I accidentally burned it all off, right? For some people, when they think of how the story ends, it's it's kind of that. There's fire, there's smoke, there's burning and singeing. I don't know if hair is involved, right? But the story in the scriptures doesn't end like that. It ends with a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Yes, there'll be a judgment on evil. Yes, the oppressors and the abusers will be held accountable. But the earth itself experiences a renewal. And I'm from Oklahoma. I feel like the earth in Oklahoma needs a little bit more of a renewal than the earth around here. I mean, this is beautiful country. But there is this sense that the project won't be complete unless creation itself is perfected. The physical cosmos will be made new. And this is the difference between a view of the end as evacuation and transformation. Evacuation versus transformation. And so when scripture talks about new creation, isn't just that we're all gonna get sucked somewhere else, it's that this creation itself will be made new. Isaiah in the Old Testament says the earth will be filled one day with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The physical cosmos will be made new. We'll have perfected physical bodies. I might even have more hair. We'll live in a perfected physical creation. You say, why does that matter? Why does that matter? I think if the gospel is just about evacuation, then God's project of creation failed. He built this beautiful world with plants, with animals, with scenic vistas. And if it's just about evacuation, then that project failed Secondly, if the gospel is just about evacuation, then our focus in this life will be too selfish. If the gospel is just about evacuation, going somewhere else, then our focus will be selfish. And I I absolutely believe that Christians, when we die, we go to be with Jesus. Paul says, to be absent from your body is to be present with the Lord. And so the teaching is that the story ends with us with Jesus in heaven, but then ultimately ends when Jesus makes this world new. It's not evacuation, it's transformation. You say, why does that matter? Either way, it sounds like, you know, an okay ending. My friend, his name is John, and he's a, he's a Bible professor, and he, he, he told me the other day, he said, think about it like this. Imagine if a really important world leader, maybe a celebrity or a humanitarian, somebody that you really respected, sends you an invitation. Let's just say, because it's hard to pick a non-complicated world leader, let's say the Queen of England, right? She's, she's super old, you can't hate her, right? The Queen of England sends you an invitation, and it says that you are invited to her house, to Buckingham Palace what would you do? Assuming that you want to go. My friend said, well, probably what you would do is that you would get yourself cleaned up. You'd take a shower. You'd buy a new shirt and you'd get yourself cleaned up. But he said, imagine this. Imagine if she didn't just invite you to her house, to Buckingham Palace, but imagine if she also said, oh, and by the way, we're going to come back to your house in Rapid City How would that change things? And my friend John's answer was that you wouldn't just worry about getting yourself cleaned up. You'd also get to work on the neighborhood. You worry about getting your house fixed up. You might even get the city involved, getting the driveway fixed up because the gospel isn't just about going somewhere else, evacuation. The gospel is about Transformation. The gospel is not just salvation from the world, but salvation for the world. Amen? The message is for the world. The creation itself will be made new. God so loved the world that he sent his son, and God so loves the world that he sends us as this work crew to be the advanced force for planting seeds of new creation, even in soil where it doesn't seem very fertile. The gospel isn't just salvation from the world, it's salvation for the world. It's about after, after school programs. It's about crisis pregnancy centers. It's about families getting back together. It's about clean water in places where they don't have it. It's about racial reconciliation. It's about kids in crisis finding a forever home. The gospel isn't just salvation from the world. It's salvation for the world. The good news is better than a message that's just evacuation. It's better than that. The story ends with with new creation. Maybe the best news of all is the third thing that we see in the Scriptures. That we don't have to wait to get the party started. We don't have to wait to get the new creation party started. In the Scriptures, new creation isn't just a future Reality. There's definitely this future component that isn't here yet. We still experience sin and pain and death. But there's also an already component to the new creation. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. It's as if when Jesus emerges from that tomb in a garden on a Sunday, that this new creation project is, is taking root In 2 Corinthians, it says this, if anyone, that includes us, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says that when somebody is in Christ, the new creation begins to break through into this this old order of things, that we don't have to wait to get the party started, so to speak, when it comes to to new creation. And so the question as we sort of wrap up this message, but also this series, why did we walk through the story of Scripture I mean, why come to understand these, these chapters, creation, fall, the promise, Jesus, the fulfillment of that promise, the church, the people of Jesus, and then new creation. Why walk through this? And the reason is, it's not just to you know, learn some answers for Bible trivia, but it's so that we can step into our part in the story. The Bible, as one person said, is a script. In Search of Actors. It's a script in search of actors. And that raises the question, what can we do? What can we do? I think the first thing we can do is to give your full allegiance to Jesus Christ. The the word in the New Testament for faith, the word pistis. Be careful how you say it, pistis. It's not just trust or belief. It's also allegiance, it's your loyalty, it's giving your whole self, give your allegiance to Jesus. And maybe some of you tonight, you would hear this message of new creation, you say, man, that kinda sounds nice, it's way better than listening to Kenny G for a million years. It, how do I get in on that? And the answer is, you gotta give your full allegiance to Jesus. You have to say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I trust you, even if I don't have all the answers. I give you my allegiance, what can we do? Secondly, we can gaze forward in hope. Gaze forward into the future with hope. And I don't know about you, but when you turn on the news or when you talk to people around the water cooler, hope isn't a word that's often used. We use a word like anxiety, like fear, like worry when we talk about the future. And the gospel calls us to look forward and hope, regardless of what the doctors have told you, regardless of what your spouse may have told you, regardless of what's going on with your kids or at the office. The future doesn't end with death, with pain, with sickness. The future ends with resurrection. We can be people who adopt a posture of hope in a culture of fear, amen? The church is called to look forward and hope. And then lastly, we're called to get on our boots, to join the new creation team that is planting seeds of hope and faith and love in our culture, to be people who are planting pockets of new creation by the way that we serve, by the way that we give, and by the way that we go out into this world. One of my favorite passages that, that illustrates this is a passage in the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 16, there's a song we used to sing in, in youth camp called Romans sixteen nineteen says. And what it says in that verse and the next one is that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet, Paul says. And I always thought that was a weird passage because I thought, you know, I would, I would have written it differently. <laughs> I would have written the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath Jesus' feet or maybe underneath the feet of some really holy person who's not me. But the passage says that the God of peace will crush Satan underneath our feet. That when we get on our boots, we go to work for Jesus, we give him our full allegiance, we adopt a posture of hope that new creation begins to seep into this world. And that's my hope for you in your personal life, for you in your city, in your community, in your church. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their commitment to walk through this series, learning the basic storyline of scripture from creation to new creation. Not so that they can just have some more knowledge or be a little bit smarter about Bible trivia but so that they can step into the plot line, pick up the script that is scripture, and play a part. So Lord, I pray for my friends. I pray that you would give them the courage to give their faith, their allegiance to you, Jesus, especially for some in this room, even right now, who've never done that, perhaps. For some in this room who are dealing with despair or anxiety or fear, I pray that you would use this passage that we read to help them gaze forward with hope. With hope that the world ends not with a bang or with a whimper, but with resurrection, with new creation. And Lord, I pray that you would send us out, send us out into our communities, our families, our workplaces. Help us to get on our boots and serve so that pockets of hope faith and love can spring up all around us. We pray that you would produce that fruit in the name of Jesus. Amen.